0: Welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast, where we learn the
1: little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here is your host, Eric Termundi. Charlie Grinnell, founder of Right Metric. Thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast.
0: No worries. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Now, look, we've been friends for a couple of years now, and. I'm just going to I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. This is the only interview that I've re-recorded because in the time that it took for us to record the first one to where we are today in recording the second one, which by the way the listeners will never hear the first one, so much has changed <laughs> that we needed to revise what the content was, which tells me that the world now is moving so fast that at times it's tough not just predict what's going to happen in two or three years, but it might even, maybe even be what happens in two to three months. So with that being said, can you tell us about what you're up to today? Uh, and I'm not going to say in the next month or five, what are you up to right now? And what can you share with us on the podcast today?
0: So the company that we're building right now is called Right Metric. We're a digital intelligence firm that helps businesses use internet data to help them make smarter decisions. So my background is primarily in marketing but we've kind of started this company and followed this hypothesis of the internet will continue to swallow up the world as we know it humans are doing more and more things online and with more and more things being done online there's more and more things that we can count and pull meaning from and we feel that that's going to be a really strong indicator for us to learn more about humanity as a whole now transitioning that over to the business side of things it's just a really interesting time as you kind of alluded to in the, in the intro there where things are changing faster than ever before. We're having human systems that have been in place for decades or or centuries be kind of challenged by the internet. And it's just a really interesting time, not only for us as as humans, but I think, you know, if you're working in certain government positions or in business or whatever, everything that has, has gotten us to this point is potentially shaky. And I think that's forcing people in those positions to have to ask themselves really hard questions and test kind of what has been set up to date in terms of infrastructure. So it's, it's an exciting time, but it also can be a scary time depending on the lens in which you kind of look at it through. And so, yeah, what we're trying to build at right metric is something that can kind of help businesses navigate that in a way so that they can have the truth in an unbiased, apolitical way.
1: So if you're a listener tuning in, my guess is you, you're you sitting a little bit taller in your seat right now or standing a little bit taller. You've you've stopped multitasking and you're focused on what Charlie is, is saying because I know that's what I'm doing. And what's come up for me is that you're talking a lot of concepts. You're very high level right now. You're 35,000 feet in the air. And what I want to understand is tangibly what some of these concepts mean. So, so let's go back to what you said at the start. You said... Mm-hmm. The internet is swallowing us whole, essentially. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. What does that mean? And what are you seeing that has enabled you to draw that conclusion?
0: So obviously, you know, the digital world, the internet, social media has been a thing. Like that's not really anything new to the rest of the world, right? Like in the last 10 years with smartphones coming out and and access to things. Yeah, we've always posted selfies and taken a photo of our food and that sort of thing. Over the recent years, we've seen, okay, ride sharing become a big thing. We're seeing food delivery, we're seeing delivery groceries, right? All of these behaviors that were traditionally kept offline are now being brought online and cars are now being bought online. You don't even have to go to a a dealer. You could just buy a car online and it could show up at your place now. Right. Who knows when it gets to a point where you could do that with a house or a condo. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like what we're seeing is that these behaviors that were typically kept offline because you needed to be in person or, you know, you needed to sign documents in person or whatever are now happening on laptops, tablets, and phones. And so now that they're happening there, there's obviously behavior that we can see there that's anonymized and aggregated, that can kind of tell us how we're making those decisions and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so that I think is a really interesting piece for where we continue to go because more and more things, our hypothesis is that more and more things are gonna end up online. And so those are a few, there are probably some crazy ones down the line that that will, that we're not even talking about, but that's kind of where that stuff comes from is we're starting to see these day-to-day behaviors, more of it's happening there.
1: The second thing you said that stuck out for me that is that it's built on a shaky system or a shaky foundation, the internet that is, or maybe the data that lives on it. Can you explain what that means?
0: What I meant when I said that is as in like, I think ride hailing is is a great example to use this. like the shaky system so to speak like the fact that taxi companies thought that they were impenetrable and that they were going to be able to ride out this storm of this little like ride sharing app is obviously like not the case right like they knew uber lyft all that stuff was coming and they didn't really do anything about it not necessarily saying they could do anything about it like maybe they could have gone out and hired a bunch of developers and like built their own thing but i think what i'm still so shocked about is how we're seeing I was just in LA last week and I ended up actually getting in a taxi because the Uber line was too long, which is a whole Mm nother conversation. mm -hmm. But what was fascinating was I got in the taxi and I said, okay, like I'm trying to go to this hotel and the taxi driver didn't have a GPS on the dashboard, number one. And so he was like, oh, can you type it into your phone and give me your phone so I can see where it is. And this is like Mm -hmm. a big, a big hotel Mm -hmm. in, in downtown LA. And for me, that moment where I was like, this system is so broken and obviously that's sample size one that's one taxi driver but I was just like it is so crazy to me that okay you know technology is kind of starting to take over you know it's challenging these systems of getting a ride over that have been in place for you know 100 years but they're still not there how can I still get in a cab and instead of him putting it in even him putting it into his phone or him having a GPS that he could type it into that was just crazy to me and I kind of left the cab being like no wonder you guys's business is like going to shit sorry to swear but like it is. And, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was just really, really fascinating. So I think about how many other human pieces of infrastructure that have been in place for a long time, whether it's government, whether it's the way that we count things in other parts of business, not even necessarily marketing more, you know, like product or R&D or sales, how many other things out there that are just waiting to kind of be punched in the jaw, so to speak. That's what I mean in terms of like these human systems are being, are being challenged
1: so let's take it back to right metric. then. What does everything that you've said lead to in terms of what you're doing for your fortune Five hundred clients? I know you've worked with some incredible organizations. How is it that you're helping them given the information that's out there today, given the new systems that are in place and perhaps some of the old shaky ones that shouldn't be anymore?
0: yeah, so I think it's it's really interesting to bring it back to what we do at right metric. you know our team's background is marketing we're marketing folks, and so we primarily. Are working with clients in a marketing capacity and an insights capacity to marketers. However, that said, what we're finding is with a lot of clients that we work with, we kind of go in through the marketing door, so to speak. We help them understand what they should count, how they should count it, what it all means, like that sort of thing. What's been interesting though is one of the byproducts that we've been seeing in the way that we service clients is the hunger in other departments for this type of insight, right? So, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. going into Company X through marketing, we do some stuff for the marketing team and then you know maybe it gets passed along to the product team and then all of a sudden the product team is coming at us being like whoa you can answer that you can give us insight on that that's really interesting and so for us like we're marketing people and so we wouldn't typically go after you know product people in terms of like trying to sell our services and products to them but at the same time when they come back to us and go can you just answer these questions for us and we're sitting on on the data to be able to access it that's pretty powerful. And so I think that both the industry as a whole, like this idea of big data, you know, we've all seen the headlines like data is the new oil or big data is the future. Mm -hmm, We've seen mm -hmm. that, but I still think we're in our, like the industry is in the infancy of that because, you know, we've only really started using this type of data for decision-making. There's still a lot to be done there from getting people educated about it, as well as the sheer amount of effort that goes into collecting the right data, analyzing it, that sort of thing. And so for us, I think, there's no shortage of opportunities. We're just trying to focus into that one area to start with to do it really, really well. But as we continue to grow, I think you know the plan is like, what other things can we use these data sets for and the insights that we're learning across outside of marketing, right? So yes, we're starting with marketing. We've done some stuff in product, but like, could there be something done with looking at investments or stocks? Could there be something done with more important causes for humanity like, what will actually motivate everybody to do something about climate change? Mm-hmm, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think there are big subset of challenges that we could actually apply this stuff to. It's just, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. Sure, but sure. that's kind of how we're thinking about it and, and getting excited about it because again, it is kind of like this idea of being a digital economist, so to speak, just getting an understanding of like the world.
1: Let's take this down then from metric and the clients to the people and let's just say the use of of our cell phones or our data. What does the average person need to know about their data that they likely don't know right now?
0: I think the biggest one, and this, this might sound like an oversimplification, but I think the biggest one is if you own a smartphone in the year 2019, you are being tracked, flat out. You know, I've had some interesting conversations with people. I've been on some panels before where people are like, oh, I don't like that I'm being tracked. And, you know, they have all these privacy concerns and then, you know, they reach into their pocket and they pull out their iPhone 10 or their Samsung Galaxy or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, sure. Like, I actually agree with a lot of the arguments about privacy. And I think there have been some pieces of legislation that are starting to go in the right direction in terms of, you know, GDPR and like that sort of thing in Europe uh, around data privacy and regulations. However, like, I still think we have a long way to go in terms of regulations, which is totally fair. But complaining about it, And then, you know, turning around to continue to exhibit the behavior is like kind of funny to me. And I just find that like, it's hard to take you seriously, right? Like imagine, imagine someone, and this is like an extreme example, but like smoking is bad and they turn around and light up a cigarette and you're like,
1: right, right, right. right. Yeah. (laughs) And so,
0: so if you're going to be very, very outspoken about that, and I think there are some great people from a data perspective who have been very outspoken about certain things, change your behaviors then. And there are some great people that, that do that, but at the same time, if you're going to if you're going to use it, it's kind of hard to take you seriously when you start knocking it. It obviously, it's a moral question that comes down to many people's lives, but I think at the core, it's a battle between privacy and convenience. Do you value convenience more, or do you value privacy? And I also think what's been really interesting for us is, you know, since we can see large, anonymized, aggregated data sets, Yeah, there was a conversation about privacy. There was a lot of people talking about it, searching for it, you know, reading, reading news about it. Like we can quantify that and see people were interested in it. However, when we look at usage behavior in terms of the data, we're all still using it. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where it's like, we're talking the talk, but when it comes to walking the walk, like we're not just flat out. We're not. And I think that's a really interesting question for us. So if, if that's the case, great. We've decided that we're going to choose convenience. Okay, now what are, that's, and that's kind of why I touched on regulations a little earlier. Right. What are the safeguards that we're putting in place for ourselves so that, you know, certain companies aren't becoming too powerful or whatever it is. And I feel like that's another conversation entirely because how do you govern something that has global reach that doesn't really recognize geographic boundaries, that sort of thing? Totally mm-hmm. fair. But yeah, I, th- I think the other thing is like, we're in, we're in its infancy. This thing, you know, smartphones came around in whatever, 2007, 2008. We're just getting started. In this, we're ten years in. So, yeah, in ten years in, it's a, I look at the same thing with cannabis. The regulations now shouldn't be the regulations that are going to be in place in 10 20 30 years. Right. It just takes time to mature.
1: I mean, we've yeah. seen this with cars and airbags and seat belts and everything along all the way of it, too. So, right? all it, of it, it's, it. it's all true. Listening to this podcast are going to be leaders, managers, husbands, wives, sons, and daughters, Instagram influencers, and people on LinkedIn who want to get a couple extra views on their profile. Yeah, um, myself included. <laughs> From a marketing lens, what's the one degree shift that we can make today to reach a more specific or a, a more aligned audience?
0: Again, this is going to sound super simple, looking before you leap. And so what I mean by that is I think a lot of people just dive into doing instead of trying to take a step back and go, what am I trying to do? And then building out a strategy and tactics associated with what you're trying to do. So I'll give an example, you know, when a brand is like, Oh, what's our influencer marketing strategy, right? Like that could be a question <laughs> that a brand asks. Usually my question back is what's the business strategy? Like, how do you make money? What's the, what, right? The, the influencer right. marketing strategy is actually the how, but
1: right, let's talk right. about
0: the what first and, and kind of take it back a step there. So I think like my piece of advice is always, you know, take a step back and understanding of what you're actually trying to accomplish. And then what's amazing about this world of data is whether you're on LinkedIn Well, LinkedIn kind of has crappy analytics. Sorry for anybody who's who works at LinkedIn, who listens to this. LinkedIn has crappy analytics, but if you're on Instagram, you know, look at, look at the data associated with your account because mm-hmm. that's going to help you. And, and we use this frame all the time, this phrase all the time. That's going to help you kind of fish where the fish are. And mm-hmm. And that's half the battle is just figuring out, okay, what river should I be in? Are there fish in this river? Cool. If so. What kind of fishing rod am I using? What bait is on the fishing rod? And that's kind of the analogy to be like, what platform am I on? What type of content am I creating? All these different pieces. And so right. I think that's something that sounds super, super basic, but you'd be surprised how many businesses out there don't do a good enough job of, of looking before they leap.
1: And with that being said, what's coming next for right metric? How are you looking before you leap?
0: <sighs> oh man, I think for us, we're, we're fortunate that we have access to, we have some really great data partners and, and we're able to see a lot of really interesting things. I think for us, we want to really try and focus on, on helping business leaders make more informed decisions. And that takes a lot of time to figure out what that looks like. Understanding you know, right. the pain points and challenges of, of CMOs today or you know, brand managers or whoever the different people that we're servicing. So I think for us, we spend a ton of time in, in meetings, not only sharing kind of what we're working on, but also using it as almost like a product discovery session where we can just get an understanding right. of what are they struggling with day to day. And then once we kind of have enough of that, we're, we're never going to stop doing that. But once we sure. we start to see some trends in in that type of data, oh, interesting, you know, 80% of the CMOs that we talk to have said these four themes. Interesting. Like, could we refine our product to better scratch that itch, so to speak? So I think there are definitely a lot of things that we still need to get better at. And I I think a large part of it is education as well, right? Like there's a lot of really great people who have been in marketing for a long time who are still going to be in marketing for a long time. But over the last five years, things have like drastically shifted. And, you know, with new technology and shiny things coming up every single day, it can be pretty overwhelming. It's almost like it's a full-time job just staying on top of all that. Right. And yeah, I think for us, like we're we're trying to position ourselves as trusted advisors because, you know, we're not an agency in that we don't buy ads, we don't do SEO, we don't do creative. We're kind of trying to be that unbiased third party who can kind of see all this the data and and help businesses with their existing data, and go, okay, here's what this means, here's how you can apply it, here's how you should be instructing your teams to use this stuff and mm-hmm. kind of playing that role, so
1: to speak. So then what would you say? As we sort of wrap up today, what would you say your, your best piece of advice for not just the CMO, but for the individual then moving forward in a world that is increasingly complicated and complex, how do we proceed with caution, but with confidence as well? Mm-hmm.
0: I think one of the things that we talk about a lot is, you know, there's two kind of camps in terms of, in terms of data, right? It's like data or nothing, or there's people who are like, I've been working in this industry for 20 years and like, I know what I'm talking about. I like to say, use your intuition, but use data to inform your intuition, right? So this idea of informed intuition, having a balance of both, looking before you leap, using data to help you. But then also, if you've been in business for a long time, or you've been at the same company for a long time, like, you know, you know, your stuff, right? I hopefully you've been there for a while. So it's it's like, use it to your advantage. I'm not, I I think the big thing with data and, and the way that things have been you know, the way that data-driven and measurement and that sort of thing has kind of been rammed down people's throats, like anything in life, it's everything in moderation, a balance, right? So yes, use your, use your intuition, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, but what can you learn from this stuff to help you make a more informed decision? So I think it is really pulling from two sides, like that art and that science, so to speak, and then using that to to make more informed decisions. I think that's the key going forward, And that's how a lot of people will be successful is using this stuff when it makes sense. And I think there is, you know, there is an aspect of it where it will always make sense, but just understanding that it isn't like data or nothing. It's like, you know, mix it in with what you're doing.
1: Right. Charlie, anything else you want to share with us today? No, I'm
0: that's it. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to hear the feedback on this and always good to chat with you.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Sounds good. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our
0: speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E dot com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.